0: Big week, strong week,
1: huge week. <laughs> uh, no, not Wait, that much. Happened. This is a
0: car show. It's a fast week.
1: Ah, that's true. Car shows
0: have to be described in terms of speed and horsepower and and all of those like you know gearhead uh, type of factors, torque. Lots of torque or, on this show.
1: Or if you're Jeremy Clarkson, torques.
0: Yeah, I was. I was. I saw there was somebody on Twitter. I, I should probably know this, but I don't know who. Um, who earlier today. Um, Give us a link to this uh, iTunes podcast. They said this is like John Syracuse reviewing cars. Here it's called um, it's called Driving Sports TV HD, and I guess the site is drivingsports.com. dot com. And everything about it looks like it, the description and everything. It looks like the complete opposite of John Syracuse reviewing cars.
1: <laughs> and like, and if you this.
0: actually like, I, I just watched the I quickly watched the one on the uh, Audi S five, and once you actually get into the episode and you see the guy talking, he he is, like, a kind of smart, smart guy kind of car reviewer. Like, it's not, like, the super octane, lowest common denominator, like, things that were created by somebody who doesn't really care about cars to fill a market segment. You know, like, it's not that kind of thing at all. But the description, the name of it, driving sports TV HD, like, the, the name of it and the description... From the newest cars to the hottest events, Driving Sports TV is your high-definition connection to the fast-moving automotive world. Exclusive content produced by automotive journalists featuring car tests, motorsports, auto tech, and more. Like, does that sound anything like John Syracuse?
1: No, not at all. It sounds like John Syracuse with a publisher.
0: Mine would probably be like... A uh,
1: publicist, excuse did, me. Did
0: you, did you ever watch Motor Week? I don't think so, no. I
1: did like, occasionally.
2: on, P- on P- PBS back in it. It's still on air. Did you actually know, like I see. it's that show is still on air reviewing current cars which boggles my mind but anyway pbs is still on the air (laughs) yeah it was like the most dry kind of not trying to be entertaining in any way like they would they would show the same video of like the the head shoulders and body of a guy getting into a car and buckling the seat belt and moving the seat forward and fiddling with the controls on the dashboard and they would describe it as kind of like a video consumer reports if you Fun. can imagine such a thing. Is this, <laughs>
1: yeah. is this the one with the uh, oddly named ex editor of Carn Driver like Chuba Chevy or something like no,
2: that? No, no. He is he's actually an interesting person and this show did not I gotta look up who's who's on this show. Uh Owings Mills, Maryland Maryland two one 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 seven. That's the why I know that address off the top of my head. What? <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking
1: about. Now I don't either.
2: Now, now Google for O O W I N G S Owings Mills, Maryland, I think.
0: I think it's funny, like when we first started doing this show, how because we were three guys doing a car show, everyone tried to figure out which Top Gear presenter each one of us uh, would represent. And of course, I'm talking about the British one, not the U.S. one, because we're you know we're real people here. And uh, and you know everybody tried to kind of cram us in there. But I think what's what's interesting, uh, and the reason why that doesn't work, is you know on Top Gear you have these three very different personalities. I'm pretty sure though among the cast here at neutral that we are all just james may (laughs) like all three of us we're just three james mays and i think i think the difference in the mood between this show and top gear probably indicates why top gear doesn't just have three james mays
1: yeah and, and it's funny to me that that everyone seemed to say it's when they when they tried to associate us with the top gear cast it seemed that everyone felt like john is james may and given your physical stature, you immediately became Hammond. And then by, you know, running out of other options, I am Clarkson. Right. Or at least that's what I'm telling myself. At well, least we all reason. have
2: a little bits of each of the people in us. We all have a little bit of the nerdy James May part. And I, I think even, like, Jeremy is very opinionated about cars often with no real foundation and no foundation in logic it's just kind of like his gut feeling and we all have some of that about all our you know whatever little part of cars that we're interested in we have that sort of gut feeling and then uh hammond is more of like a 12 year old maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah like a like a wide-eyed kind of fascination and he's not interested in the technical details, and he doesn't th- ruminate and think hard about the gut feeling of wh- how cars should be. He just gets excited by whatever gets them excited. So I think there's a little, a little piece of all of those presenters, as they call them,
0: in all Indeed. of us. I think what bothered me about being compared all the time to Hammond, uh, or be- being guessed to be Hammond, um, is that I really don't like American cars at all. Like, I, I really strongly dislike American cars, and I, I really don't intend to ever own one.
2: Yeah, but if you had grown up in England would you like American cars? Because then it would be, be the strange, different, exotic thing, you know what I mean? I don't
1: know. Like I it mean, would be the thing,
2: all, all my friends like the whatever they like, but I, I, I'm a, I like different things, you know? I mean, they have
0: to cross some water to get to Germany, too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the, the, I agree with what you said, John. Um, but a couple of years ago, actually, it's probably several years ago now, uh, Clarkson did a mini series on inventions that changed the world. And it was an unbelievably good miniseries where he investigated like the history and stories behind several different things. And Marco, you've seen it, right? Of course. Have you happened to have seen this, John?
2: I've seen James Mays' Toy Story. Which like, is also excellent, but <laughs> also no, good. it is
1: not the same. Uh, and what's interesting to me about Clarkson is I agree that he is very non-cerebral, I don't think anyway, and that he's just very much from the gut. But he has an unbelievable appreciation for engineering and for technology. And in fact, I think he was on like the last flight of the Concorde airplane. Um, he did an, uh, he did one of the Inventions That Changed the World episodes was on the jet engine. Another one was on the computer. Uh, I forget what the other ones were off the top of my head. Gunpowder, I believe, was one. But they, you all have to dig one up, John. Or dig them up, I should say. They're really, really good. They're about an hour apiece. And they're really thoughtful. And, and it exposed a side of Clarkson that I don't think I had been privy to previously.
0: Meanwhile, James May's Toy Stories exposes exactly what you expect from James May. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't understand celebrity
2: in, in, in England. I don't understand how that works or I mean are why these people are celebrities as opposed to like all the other, I mean they're interesting and they're personable or whatever, but I guess we're just used to in America with a larger pool of people to to choose from, that there's always something superlative about someone that's widely known and a celebrity. And they're usually very, very good looking no matter what other thing about them
0: is interesting. You know what I mean? I mean with, with England, like because it is so few people there, it it is more like it's like like the best people you'd find in the U.S. to do like a national news broadcast. You got a pretty big pool of people to pick from there. In England, it's more like the best people you'd find in the New York Metro area, or, or Rhode in, Island, or like Philadelphia. Like it's 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 like it's I don't even know. I think somebody once told me it was about the size of Philadelphia. Is that is that accurate? Anyway, they're like by population, something like that. It <laughs> it's you know it's about the size of like. A medium sized or medium to large American city. So it's, like, it's, more like just, it's more like the local, local talent pool of a good sized
1: city. Well, I can't imagine that's actually accurate because London alone is huge.
2: No, it's 66 million for the UK. All,
1: All right, right, that's pretty million,
2: big. Sorry. Yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. What you're, we're going for here is that in, in the land of the blind, the
0: one I'm in is king. more like one state then. Yeah, yeah, fun stuff. Uh, do you have any topics for today? I, I have a few.
1: I, I, have, I have
2: my th- pocket topic of why I like Hondas, which takes like two minutes, and then you could say why you
0: like the cars that you like. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Let's get, let's do it.
1: Wait, can we can we interrupt? Can we do some follow up?
0: Well, you please? can do some follow up. I won't. do Can some I do
1: some follow up? What were you I wrong feel about? I was right about something, darn it. (laughs) Uh, We have gotten a surprisingly small amount of feedback regarding my obsession with backing into parking spots. You knew it was coming. I can hear you guys sighing, even though I can't hear you sighing. Um, And it was interesting to me because I expected a furor of people explaining how much of a moron I am, and there was certainly some of that. But there was also a decent amount of people saying that I'm not an idiot. And one in particular – let me find this email – This person asked not to be named, so I will not name them, but it's a fairly short email. And I think it pretty well summarized how I feel. Uh, I found this topic on reverse parking into base spaces an interesting topic, although I would completely disagree with both Marco and John. And obviously, I'm immediately endeared to this email. As a person who will always reverse into a parking space, I base my reasoning on this for safety. In my opinion, by reversing into a space, you're always in a situation where you can safely and easily see where other cars are and causing less of a hazard to others. When backing in, you are able to manipulate and control the traffic with your reverse maneuver spelled oddly. I think it's like the... European uh, spelling. Anyway, with full visibility of what other drivers are doing, this is then the same when exiting as you are in an optimum situation for seeing where other cars are and when it's free to pull out into traffic. And I thought that was a pretty good summary of something that several other people had sent in as well, and how I feel about things.
2: A selection bias, though, because the vast majority of people listening heard you were nodding heard, your, heard, nodding heard, your heard you give your crazy idea. Heard me and Marco shoot it down. And said, "Well, our work <laughs> is so done scary. here. There's nothing we need to do." The only people you're <laughs> going to get are the people who are like who want to fight against this injustice. <laughs> no, you're so absolutely it's right. totally, you know, yeah. I responded to a couple of uh, feedback things. I didn't. I don't see you guys when I respond because I'm just talking to the listener, really. Uh, <laughs> and we had a back and forth with them. And one wh- one person I forget where they were from was saying that it was it was very common where they were. Uh, And I think that makes a difference. If If it's common where you are, all the things about blocking up traffic and annoying people and potentially getting into accidents for people who don't realize that you've stopped and are now backing up because they're not paying attention or go for the same spot that you're going for and you end up colliding like that. Go, that almost goes away if everybody is backing in all the time. But that is not the case in the U.S. Everybody is not backing in. So when you back in, you are a hazard to other people. You're annoying them by blocking up the area, <laughs> and they're not going to notice that you're doing this. They're not going to notice your, your your backup lights come on. They're just going to ram you because they're not paying attention because they're texting their friends, or they're going to go for the spot because they think you drove past it. And that's why, still, Casey, you should not be backing into parking <laughs> spots. Unless you move to another country where everybody does it, in which case, go nuts. You and and you can't. You certainly can't
0: come here. Because here, one thing we didn't mention yet um, because I, I assume, you know, people who have this problem just never even considered any other option, is if your parking spots are set on an angle. Uh, oh, in a that's lot, very true. Where, you, where usually that just means, you know, that each each lane of the lot has a one-way restriction on how you can drive. And you can only pull straight in, um, you know, because usually they're set on an angle to save space. Um, it's it's to, say, to save overall width of how wide that lane can be um, in places where you have tight spaces like older cities and, and just dense areas. Uh, that somehow still have parking spots, and and so yeah, like if you're if you have slanted parking spots, you you kind of can't pull in, or at least without being totally ridiculous.
1: Oh, and that drives me nuts when I see people do that, and or like they they'll see it as a pull through and pull through, but then they're facing the wrong way,
0: that right? Then pull a, out,
1: then then they're screwed. R- right, right. And that, that's my point. And so even as a devout backer inner guy thing, I, I that <laughs> still drives me crazy. So John,
0: why do you like Honda so much? Yeah, I should have written up stuff for this, but I didn't, so I'll just wing it. Um,
1: That's the spirit.
2: Yeah. So there's a, the first thing is that the whole reason I ever got into Honda is the same reason most people get into anything. is that, like you just you just fall into it because, you know, in the case of cars, it's like, you know, what you happen to buy is your first car. In my case, it's what your parents have. So my parents had, uh, we had a big minivan for the whole family, and then we had, uh, at the time I, I got my license, we had a smaller car, smaller second car, and it was a Honda Civic. And that eventually got... Uh, added to with a or replaced with an Integra when I took the Civic uh, But that was the first Honda that our family had ever had before that it was a series of Oh, we got a bunch of American cars. We got a Volvo in there Oldsmobile uh, Pontiac uh, Volkswagen rabbit like all sorts of things But this was the very first Honda that I'd ever come in contact with so I feel like I had a good experience of the range of kind of cars that you could have both the cars that my parents owned and relatives that I had uh, ridden in so the things that are distinct about a honda stood out to me because i guess the only other car i had you know the volvo has its own sort of characteristics which are kind of exotic and weird uh and the volkswagen is a little bit exotic but the rest of them are just a series of american cars so the honda really stood out to me as wow this car is different than the other cars that we've gotten not because it's newer or anything but just because the value system that made it is different and the things that stood out to me about the honda uh and this is what we're talking about. in Nineteen ninety-two Honda, because I'm going to talk about where Honda lost its way and started to stray from the things that I loved about it. Uh, were that the, the trade-offs they had made. One is that they decided if there's a choice between uh, lightness and heaviness, go with lightness. So lots of other cars we have were quieter because they had you know more sound deadening material, or you know they had thicker sheet metal, or just you know there was more mass around them and everything. Honda would pick the opposite, which produced a very lightweight car. You know, some people think it's like a flimsy feeling. Like, if you're into American cars, you'll think Hondas feel flimsy because everything is small and light. But I really like that. And that extends to the controls. The gear shift, you know, very, it's not a big, chunky, meaty, beefy thing. It's a very tiny little thing. The clutch pedal was, you know, almost like hitting the brake or gas pedal. Incredibly light, especially after the Volvo, which was the the manual that I learned on, which was like a Nautilus machine for your left leg. Unbelievable, you know, for, for, all, for all 85 horsepower, that clutch had to be like, yeah. Uh, everything about it was just incredibly light. And even the steering, which it was, you know, I believe it was 92 Civic still had power steering, but it was very light. Not over-boosted light, but the whole car was light. I mean, the, the, the whole experience was, you know, light and airy. So I'm like, wow, this is like a breath of fresh air. The second thing is, and this was a, a very common characteristic for early Hondas, was what they call low cowl height, uh, which means, like, the height of the dashboard and the hood and everything in front of you uh i don't know like where where intersects your eye line basically uh, you know when you look down the front of the car uh how much can you see do you feel like you're looking out of the sl- uh, out of a slit in a tank like that's that's a, something that a lot of american cars have now like the muscle car type things where everything about it is high it's got high shoulders high cowl height and you kind of look like I mean, it looks great from the outside it looks very low profile low slung but you feel like you're looking out of a tiny little slit and you can't really see the road in front of you because you have this hood that's blocking your view Honda was the opposite. It, it shoved everything down, and that produced dorky-looking cars. It produced cars that looked like, you know, the the height of the door was very low, and then this big expanse of glass, this big tall bubble thing. Uh, and in fact, the, the sort of the apex of this philosophy was the Acura NSX. Which, when they were designing the NSX, one of the design inspirations, one of the, this is one of my. Uh, uh, one of, one of the best design inspirations I've heard for a car usually they say our design we were inspired by the wind or some other you know b s thing or whatever <laughs> uh they, they were inspired for the n s x by the design of the f sixteen cockpit and the f sixteen cockpit I don't know if you, you know the what an f sixteen looks like yeah maybe
1: hmm
2: anyway uh, you marco can google one uh <laughs> that was designed so that there would be a lot uh, so the pilot would have a lot of visibility front back, and all the sides, so it was kind of like get the plane down below and then make a bubble sticking out of the plane that the person sits in. And, you know, you could see back out of the bubble, the sides, like everywhere, where you you have more, more visibility because you are sort of up on a perch. So the NSX was like, get the car down low out of the way and then put a glass kind of bubble popping out of that so that you have good visibility all around, which is, again, very counter to the typical, you know, what, what kind of visibility do you get out of a, a Lamborghini or something where you, you really are looking through these tiny little slits and your rear visibility is terrible because there's like a wing back there and the engine is back there and you can't see anything. The NSX was consciously trying not to do that. And if you look at an NSX in, in profile, you'll see flat kind of car pushed down as low as it can and this, and this bubble on top of it. So you can see back front and the sides. And all Hondas were like that. Uh, it looks good in the NSX. It looks very dorky in the other cars because you really just see lots of greenhouse And like a little kind of little miniature car squished down underneath this giant greenhouse, Uh, and I like the big greenhouse because it gives me head clearance. This was this tiny little Civic was the car that I had the most headroom in of all the cars that we had ever owned, all which were substantially larger. Uh, So I gave that a big thumbs up, Um, and it was also this was before the. uh, decontenting crisis i think that's what they called it of of japanese cars where i don't know why i'm not going to speculate i'm assuming it has something to do with exchange rates or the japanese economy or whatever but it used to be the japanese cars could have all sorts of stuff in them that was nice and they could still sell them here for a reasonable price this is a great economics lesson waving my hand wildly uh and <laughs> later on it be, it, it, they couldn't do that anymore it, it cost them more they would have to sell their car for much more money if they put the same amount of stuff in it so some examples from my Civic that I think I talked about on, on Hypercritical at some point or another, the the Civic, the 92 Civic had uh, a very small trunk, as big as I could make it, but it was very small. Like, the opening was very small. Uh, and when you lift up the trunk lid, it didn't have those little gooseneck. Yeah, it did, because that was the title of an episode, Intruding Gooseneck. It didn't have those little metal gooseneck things, like, that connect the trunk to the back, so when you close it, those little things, you know, intrude into the trunk right, area. Right, and they crush you whatever you have in it. Right. They had, they had little struts, little, you know, I think they're pneumatic little air filled struts a uh, series of them you know a couple of links so that when you pull the lid up you know it would cl- open and close nicely but nothing intruded into the trunk space and that's more expensive to make and more fragile and di- more difficult to design and everything but they could afford to put that in their cheapest of the cheapest of the cheapest car that they made at the time even with one side mirror you know they couldn't afford a second side mirror but it had that in it. Uh, <laughs> and the, the cars were designed to be like okay it's not going to be an expensive car but every part that we put it in is, is going to be uh, nice and high quality we're not going to cheap out uh, in something like that, so that was that was the Honda that I love. Uh, lightweight, good visibility, low cowl height, uh, snappy feeling, small kind of almost delicate controls, and of course you know very reliable and you know all, all the other good qualities that you want. You don't you know you don't want it to be things you don't want things to be falling apart. You want it to, things to feel high quality or as high quality as they can in a cheap car. Uh, and then in the subsequent years when the deconting began, the Civic got a crappy trunk. that the 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 design of the car started to creep up you started to get you know higher and higher heights on on the on the doors and uh you know the dashboard started to rise up the cars became a little bit fatter and heavier both styling wise and weight wise which of course is happening to all cars at the same time and i I just felt like they were they were leaving me behind the snappy little shifter became just like a kind of mediocre or notchy little shifter that didn't feel snappy you know the steering was still light but it didn't have as much road feel and it, you know it just started to it started to go bad for me uh i think they're coming back from that now like the the, the accord i got is like the last acceptable accord i would have got which is like 2007 uh i would not have bought any of the chords in between and now the 2013 looks like it's getting the yay honda is back thumbs up but I, i'll have to test drive it for myself and see have they recaptured what i liked about hondas or have uh, or is it still you know not as good as it used to be
1: so what's your alternative if you drive this thing, the, the 2013 Accord, and you don't care for it?
2: I don't know. I mean, before even considering that, when when the the Accords were all terrible and, you know, the Hondas, I didn't like the new Civics, I didn't like the Accords, I didn't I certainly didn't like the Cross Tour or any of those other things. Uh, I looked at all sorts of other things, I'm like, well, what about a Volvo wagon? I kind of, you know, I do have a soft spot for Volvos, uh, but Volvo is, you know going nowhere fast and volvos are super duper expensive i looked at subarus but i just i couldn't (laughs) i I, like you know i don't i don't like their styling uh i i don't like i've driven my my friend used to have a Subaru. i drove his i don't like how they are you know i don't like the sounds the engines make they only come in white yeah they're not like and i I was looking at them for the (laughs) four-wheel drive aspect right uh if you know it, it it's basically like if i i don't i don't want a Toyota. The, the 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 new bigger uh passat is kind of like the big bloated accord that i didn't like so i don't know i was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place uh like the, i would have to spend a lot more money i feel like cuz the the accord is a reasonably priced car uh that i hoping that i would like and if i don't what what other alternatives do i have for a car that i'll actually like i don't know but it's gonna it's gonna cost a lot more the nsx <laughs> yeah it doesn't really uh, hold two kids
0: that well I don't know. You can you can be creative. I'm, I'm sure figure something out. Yeah, you're an engineer.
2: <laughs>
0: I, I I like how you know you, you how how the the visibility out of the car is so important to you because it is for me too, and that ruins a lot of cars for me when that's bad, and and like because I'm not a tall guy. I'm like I'm like five six. So, uh, but I I like having good visibility. So what I usually do uh, is have my seat raised up as usually to the highest that it will go or very close to that. Um, that also helps. Um, I used to have a back problem from driving too much uh, for a while. I had, I had a herniated lower disc. And one of the better ways to sit if you have back problems or to avoid back problems is to make it so that uh, your butt is not lower than your knees more than it has to be. Uh, so in some cars, this is easier than others. In big, like, vans and trucks, you sit so much higher up that usually this is significantly easier. Um, but in cars, you know, the, the, the kind of loungy seating position that a lot of people prefer for, for short-term comfort is basically, like, your butt is almost on the floor, your knees are up above it, and you're kind of leaning back diagonally. And that is, that is the worst thing you can do to your back. And eventually, this will catch up to you if you do if you drive a lot or if you sit that, that way. A that was lot.
2: the uh, seating position in my '92 Civic. The seats were like basically on the floor, and and you know, and the my, your feet were out in front of you. Your feet there was no going down into the the footwell for the pedals. It was just going forward <laughs> into the footwell. And I love this because this was a car where my hair didn't hit the headliner. And your hair hitting the headliner doesn't sound like a big deal. No, oh, that's it annoying the hell out of you if your hair is like you know on the little felt you know mouse fur headliner. It just <laughs> drives you insane. So I was. Believe it or not, I I
0: actually have had that problem, which you wouldn't, you would never guess knowing me (laughs) not being as tall as you, but because I put the seat so high, I have occasionally had that problem. Um, And, and believe me, I know how annoying it is. And in fact, like when I was doing that, that, uh, that M racing day, you had to wear a race helmet in the cars and I had to sit significantly lower than I usually do because my helmet was hitting the ceiling. And so it was like, I had like way worse visibility than I usually do, not because I was wearing a helmet, but because I couldn't put the seat up high enough. Uh, but yeah, and so like and that's one of the reasons why I got the one M, because I don't really have any desire for what most people would consider like sports cars, like the the, the compact like roadster style or the supercars that are very low to the ground. I don't I don't feel comfortable in those. I don't like driving those. I don't like even riding in them very much because you're just like hugging the ground and. I know there's lots of reasons why I should like that. You know, it feels faster, it looks cooler, it's way more aerodynamic. The cars are smaller. Um, th- there's there's a lot of reasons to like that, but I don't. I'm not the kind of person who likes it. And so I would
2: just say that I make an exception for my visibility complaints for a Ferrari. So if anyone wants to send me <laughs> one, please do not refrain from sending me one. I will accept almost no visibility whatsoever out of these cars in exchange for a driving one.
0: <laughs> That's fair. But like, but you would you want to own one? Assuming that your that your dented roof problem went away.
2: Yeah, no. If if given infinite money, the car I will get would get would be a Ferrari. No question. It's already it's all planned out. <laughs>
0: Even with the poor visibility and your and your hair hitting the cloth. Yes, ceiling? no.
2: It will have its own little house that it will live in. It will be heated <laughs> and and cleaned by a crew each day. And yes, it will it will be lovely. And I will learn how to drive that. because I. Uh, you know, I've driven large trucks as part of, you know, summer jobs as, as a kid and everything. You don't have any rearward visibility when you're driving a dump truck either. You just learn how to do it. Uh, I'm willing to do that. As a sacrifice, I'm willing to make uh, to own a Ferrari.
1: Have I told the story on on here about me driving a Ferrari?
2: You mentioned it, but you didn't ex- didn't expand on it.
1: Okay, well, I'll take this as an opportunity to do so. So in Connecticut, when I was learning how to drive, uh, driver's ed was not a part of the schools. You did it outside of school. and In
0: Connecticut, driver's ed has taught them Ferraris.
1: No, no, not at all. That, well, that, some, that some is, neighborhoods. But. Yeah, I was going to say, well, <laughs> ma- not in my part of Connecticut. Uh, so anyway, uh, I didn't do driver's ed because it wasn't part of school, and, and my parents were like, no, you don't need to bother with that. So uh, because I didn't do driver's ed, I couldn't get my license until I oh, was 16 and a half. And I did so, and I took the driver's test in the Saturn. That was a five-speed, and everyone thought I was out of my mind. But I I did it. I passed my first time. It was it was no big deal. Well, um, it was a couple of weeks later, and my um, I was coming home at a reasonable hour, but it was like after dinner or something like that. And I noticed that or I knew that my my parents were having some friends over. And I noticed very quickly as I was rounding the bend to come up to my parents' driveway, which was very, very steep, or is very, very steep, that there was a shiny red Ferrari sitting at the end of it. And I want to say it was a 355. I'm probably wrong. but um, What year year was this? This was, if I was 16, this was 98-ish, give or take a little bit, 98, 99. Could have been, AS. But anyway, so there's this beautiful ferrari sitting at the bottom of the driveway so i go up the driveway and i go walking in and i know immediately that the owner of that ferrari is a family friend of ours um who is of italian heritage and owned garbage companies in new york and connecticut and so we know what that,
2: we know what that means
1: well and i believe it means nothing he is,
0: we don't know anything yeah we don't
1: know anything <laughs> um and I, we don't know that i believe he's currently in jail um <laughs> so that is not a joke uh so anyway so i said hey insert name here I really like your car. I said, yeah, thanks. You want to go for a ride? Uh, yeah. So we go walking back down the driveway, and he takes me to this road that that my parents' neighborhood is off of, and it's like a three or four mile stretch that's, for all intents and purposes, straight straight as an arrow. And so we go down this stretch. And he does a UE at the end to come back towards my parents' house. All of a sudden stops in the middle of the road in this like quarter million dollar Ferrari. Stops in the middle of the road. And this is a well-traveled road. Gets out. And I hear him say over his shoulder, your turn. I'm 16 and a half. I've been driving for about six months. And my family friend is telling me to get behind the wheel of his Ferrari. Okay. So I jump in the driver's seat. (laughs) That's not the kind of guy you say no to. Exactly. Well, that's true. He and made I
2: Casey an offer he can't refuse. Literally,
1: <laughs> very, very literally. So I get behind the driver's seat and I giggle a little bit as I realize that I'm about to drive a Ferrari. And of course, it was a stick because this was before the BS, you know, automatic automatic manuals. And I immediately noticed that all three pedals were basically one pedal because they were so close together. But I did take off fine. I did not stall. I did not burn rubber. And we're going down the road, and I am doing nothing exciting. It was the most boring drive of a Ferrari that has ever happened. And then the gentleman who owned it looked over at me, calm as can be, not upset, says, Hey, how fast do you think you're going? I said, I don't know, 35, 40. The speed limit, I believe, was 35. So why don't you check it out? So I look down and I look at the speedometer, and I giggle for a second because there's a prancing horse in the middle of the speedometer. And then I realize, Holy God, I'm doing about 70. I had no idea. And granted, I wasn't a new driver, but I mean, I knew the difference between 70 and 30, and I th- could have sworn I was doing 35, 40.
2: But that car will do 70 in second gear, though.
1: Yeah, it's also true. And so we, I got it home. I did not pull it up the driveway. Everything was fine and to this day that is one of my favorite driving experiences of all time i mean it again i wish i could tell you that i, I stood on the gas that i did a brake check just for the fun of it i did nothing exciting but yet <laughs> it was the most exciting drive i think i've ever had in my life
2: my most exciting encounter with the ferrari is even more boring we could have a, a contest where we see what that the is most, not who has the most boring area. Here, here's my most exciting encounter with ferrari i think i've also told this story before but tough luck uh I went to Boston University, which uh, is a very expensive school uh, that lots of foreign-born people go to because they have lots of money. I don't know. Uh, and <laughs> they're, the people who go here from other countries, especially from Middle Eastern countries like, you know, oil barons or whatever, the parents send the kid to school. They buy them an apartment to stay in or rent them an apartment to stay in. And they, and they I guess they rent them or buy them a car. I don't know how these cars come to be. But anyway, these are college students, undergraduates. Who have cars, including Ferraris. So I my undergraduate years, like, these are the first times I would see Ferraris on a regular basis. Just walking to and from class, they'd be parked or double-parked along the road, because Boston University is right along Commonwealth Avenue, which is a very busy road. And there's cars parked all along, it, and some of them would be Ferraris. And I would just, you know, ogle them. And lots of BMWs, uh, so, you know, lots of whatever that generation of M3 was, the, the one that I actually liked. Uh, what year? Ninety. Uh, Four through seven was it the e90 e36 E46 or whatever, yeah. 36 36, 36 yeah. was
1: late 90s 46 yeah, it's, it's was early 2000 it's the
2: one where they at the very end of the rain they just add the little like mask to the aisle to the headlights It was like the old headlights but they just put a little little mask on the bottom of it to like make little circle cutouts do you remember that
1: to be honest i do not now i'm disappointed yeah. in myself
2: anyway I'll, I'll look it up uh, but I w- i'll look at all these cars and so one day coming out of the what was then the college of liberal arts or cla uh, but it now has a different name, which is worse. Cas, much worse. Anyway, uh, there was, you know, Ferrari parked out. I believe it was it was either 348 or 355 because that the, the, was the popular Ferrari for the kids to have. Uh, and it was. I cannot there. believe
1: you just said that was the popular Ferrari. There was for like the seven of them, have.
2: and it was like you know, <laughs> in '94 there was all 348s, and then they then you know, when when did the like 355 came out in '94, so then you started to see them in later years. But anyway, so I come down the steps, coming out of the classroom building, and there's a Ferrari sitting there, uh, and it's a convertible Ferrari. But half of them were, were convertible, and it's sitting there uh, with the engine running, with nobody around it, just you know, parked on the side of the road. You That's stole insane. it? No, no. <laughs> and I, and I, this is why it's the most boring story ever. But I thought, <laughs> look, how many times is this going to happen to you in your life? I did. I did the
1: calculations. <laughs>
2: You know, it's a, it's a college, there's people everywhere, no one's going to really notice you. There's a Ferrari with the engine running, with the keys in it, with nobody around that owns it. Like, no one is leaning on it, no one's talking in a group near it, it's just sitting there. And why does it that that people are rich and irresponsible and they're teenagers and they just, you know, he's probably off smoking somewhere around the corner or whatever. And I thought, you know, this may be your only chance to ever do this, but then I thought you might go to jail or die, and so I eventually, I, I decided not to do it. That is that is an even more boring. But to this day, as as Casey you know as Casey remembers his drive, it just went straight down his road, going a little bit too fast. I still remember and relive that moment of like, this could be the time that you that you get to drive a Ferrari. This could be the most exciting drive of your life. But I just went to my next class.
0: I might have an even more boring <laughs> Ferrari story.
2: Oh no, that, wow! You can't, you can't top that. I didn't actually even touch the car. Well, I didn't even it, yeah. like caress it as I walked by.
0: I have done that, but he, he, here's my story um a uh, uh, i don't know five years ago six years ago um i, I went to a party with a guy who who was in with the people who run a uh, uh, an exotic car rental place in jersey called gotham dream cars and uh so i went to the part that like the christmas party at gotham dream cars which is just like in their warehouse in new jersey and their warehouse was just full of all of their ridiculous cars and this this is the kind of place where you can pay like a thousand dollars a day to rent a lamborghini or ferrari or something so They had all their cars open in their warehouse for everyone to just, you know, sit in. So I went through, you know, as I'm like, you know, holding like a beer and cocktail appetizers, uh, I went and sat in all of these cars just for a few minutes, looking at them, took some pictures, sitting in them. That's See, it. I, so I've, no, I've but you, but been you touched the
2: cars and you got into them. That's not that's more exciting than mine. You'd I, be
0: surprised I, it, how how not interesting it is to just sit in a really nice car and not actually like not, not 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 only are you not driving it but you aren't even even being in it or near it while it is being driven by somebody else. Like it's just like oh here's a car just sitting here. Like it's not that different than looking at pictures of it online.
1: No, it's right. funny. I have a very. A vaguely similar story that I've been looking for a reason to tell. So thank you for giving me the reason. Uh, when I was, I want to say 12-ish, 10-ish, 12-ish, uh, my grandmother, whom is still around, this is my dad's mom, uh, and we were really close at the time. Uh, and uh, we. she lived in Manhattan. And one day I was visiting her and I was with my family, if I'm not mistaken, but because occasionally I would go and just hang out with just the two of us. Well, I had like a car and driver or something like that. And at this point in my life, as with every other 12-year-old, I was obsessed with Lamborghinis. And so uh, you know, my grandmother, whom I called Nan, said to me, hey, you know what are you looking at? And I said, oh, this really cool car. I've always wanted to see one. I've never seen one it before. It's, what's it called? What's Lamborghini. Says, well, let's find one. Let's go look at one. It's like, well, man, it's a quarter million dollars, or whatever. I mean, I didn't know how much it was, but I was like, man, it's really expensive. So next thing I know, she's on the phone with Memora Motorsports, which is no longer around. I've tried to find them and I can't. But they were a they were a, comp- a Lamborghini dealer uh, right across the river in New Jersey, uh, vaguely near the Liberty Science Center, if I'm not mistaken. And so she's on the phone with. A woman there who we later find out is the owner. And so she says, hey, you know, my grandson's visiting. I think I lived in Illinois at the time or something like that. Uh, my grandson's visiting from Illinois, and he really loves Lamborghinis. Can can I bring him by? And the story I'm told consistently is that the owner of the company said, without pausing even an instant, said he's a potential buyer. Bring him in. And it was already made clear that I'm 12. <laughs> Next thing I know, it's an hour later. Or maybe three, I don't know. Marco, how long does it take to get across the river? Anyway, so... Forever. Infinite time. Infinite time. So I was 16 years old when we arrived. (laughs) But uh, we get to the dealer, and this was when the Diablo was new, or within the last, you know, it had just come out in the last year or two. So in the showroom, there was a black Diablo, there was a white Countach used that was previously owned by Mario Andretti, and I think one or two other cars, but I, I can't even for the life of me remember what they were. So I meet this woman, and my recollection of it was that she was fairly young, like late thirties, early forties, and and she says, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm so glad you came down." She gave me a packet of information, like a like a sales brochure, uh, which I just found the other day, actually. And she said, "Hey, would, you know, why don't you come sit in them?" And so she opens up the Diablo with the not gold wing, but the vertically opening doors, which at the time was not ruined by Fast and Furious, so it was actually still cool. And so she opens the door and she, you know, she gets out of the way so I can sit in it and I go to sit in it and all of a sudden she grabs me and pulls me back. And I'm thinking to myself, holy God, I don't know what I just did. I haven't even touched the thing yet, but I am screwed. I'm like going to jail because at 12, I didn't know any better. So she steps in front of me, says, hold on a second, takes the plastic wrap off of the seats so that I can sit on the leather and then says, go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> it was the coolest freaking experience of my life. And so I have pictures, which if I wasn't so lazy, I would scan and we would put in our non-existent show notes. But I have pictures of me sitting in a Diablo at like 12 years old or whatever it is. And it was the coolest experience in the world. And I want so badly to be able to find this woman and tell her, you know, even 15 years later, I still so fondly remember that 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 moment. And and I will always remember that moment. And i tried to dig up the the memora motorsports company and it seems to have folded i did find a website that i know is them but it's just kind of like a parked website i mean you, there was enough information there that i could tell it was the same people but there was almost nothing to it and i'm really bummed because i'd really love to find them so if you know you, you
2: need to find that picture and scan it
1: i i will tweet I will. it at the very least I, I will i will do that uh but yeah it was unbelievable she was so gracious and so awesome and and if somehow this thing ever finds her Thank you so many many millions of times because it was unbelievable. It was a life-changing experience as a 12-year-old.
0: Meanwhile, I just dug up the pictures of my Christmas party at Gotham Dream Cars and they are exactly as boring as I as I remembered them to be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you lie.
0: No, I, I I'll show you the pictures afterwards. It's just some fairly blurry pictures of car interiors so with some people you don't know hanging around and some Christmas lights and some cocktail like, you know, appetizer trays and people hanging around. Like it's so it's so not, and like here, like it, I'm looking at Vipers, Lamborghinis. There's a 911. There's a bunch of Ferraris. Uh, whatever a Lamborghini VT is, I don't even know. That's uh, just I just read the back of it. Uh, like all the uh, Bentley. I mean, there's all these crazy cars, and and uh, you know, it just it was it was it was fun. Like to say I was there and to say I was in all these cars, but it wasn't nearly as good. It, it, it would have been cool if I was 12. It would have been amazing, um, but as somebody who was old enough to drive all these cars, being around a bunch of them and not driving them was surprisingly uninteresting.
2: <laughs> this is the problem with being old. The, all these experience I have with all these exotic cars, uh, many of them like modified in, in college. Uh, I didn't have a digital camera at that time. I, I didn't have there was no. Yeah. I didn't have a cell phone with a camera. I didn't have a cell phone period. And so all you know, if I did, certainly like as I was ogling these cars, walking to class. I would have probably taken pictures of them. taken take pictures of my favorites and stuff, but there's no record of these because I for four years of college had no camera with me during the day and it didn't even occur to me to like get my film camera and carry it to class so I could take a picture of them, you know.
0: Right, Cause then you would have been a nerd. I
2: don't know. I, I found a picture of my my M3. Not in any way. other way. It was the the E forty six and I pasted it into the chat room. You can look at the little things around the headlights that I was thinking of. So these have aftermarket body cladding on the bottom of it. Just ignore that part and look at the part around the headlights. That's how I identify I how I identify my M3.
1: Yeah, that's definitely not an E36, like you said. And if I can pull... E46. I said it's not an E36. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And if I can pull a Merlin for a second... Nice. Those are pictures pictures of me and the Diablo and the Countach, and I'll scan a couple after the show. Mm.
0: (laughs) Anyway, uh, speaking of Merlin, this episode is once again sponsored by Squarespace. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so you know, we told you in the past how Squarespace is great for hosting your websites, portfolios, blogs, business sites... All sorts of cool stuff. Um, and then they recently, like a week and a half ago, they just launched the Squarespace commerce platform. And this is awesome. I'm going to tell you about it again this week. Uh, it's a powerful and flexible e-commerce solution. It's integrated to work with every Squarespace template. And their templates are awesome. We use one of their templates with almost no modifications uh, for our site. It's just really, really great stuff. You know, all designed by professional designers and no effort required. So uh, you can sell physical and digital goods with their new commerce stuff. Um You can take credit and debit cards. It's all integrated with Stripe, an awesome credit card provider. Um, Single interface for order management. You can track your orders, provide customer email updates. You can print shipping labels, deal with coupons, all built into Squarespace's new commerce platform. Um, so, And the great thing is, too, they don't even take a cut of your sales like a lot of platforms do. It's just a free feature included with their business plan. So it's $24 a month for the business plan if you pay annually, 30 a month if you pay month to month. And they still have all their awesome blog and website hosting and portfolios and everything else starting at $10 a month. Um, so use offer code NEUTRAL3 because it's now the month of three. Uh, use offer code NEUTRAL3 at checkout and you will get 10% off. And uh, you can buy a year of service and you get a free domain. There's all sorts of stuff you can do to get a really great deal at Squarespace. And even if you do everything wrong, it's still pretty affordable and still pretty great. Uh, so check out, use code NEUTRAL3, get a nice discount, support the show. And thank you, for, thank you to Squarespace for supporting us once again.
2: I was thinking of stories that have influenced uh, our car opinions or formative car experiences. And I thought of one more uh, for me. This was when I was, I don't know how old I was, I'm so bad with time, but I I was young. It was before I could drive. I was maybe 10 years old or something. So my family didn't even have the the Mazda Minivan at that point. They just had the Volvo station wagon and previously had a series of American cars, plus the Volkswagen Rabbit, a very long time ago when I was very young. So I had never had experience with, like, nice cars, I guess. I mean, the Volvo was kind of nice. It was like a yuppie car, but they weren't, Volvos were not as nice back then as they are now in terms of luxury. They were more utilitarian and scandinavian and weird uh and we had a cheap Volvo and it, did, it was not a nice car really um so this was with a friend's car and I was I was going with a friend to go skiing I think we were going to Windham, which is an upstate New York maybe it was a different amount but I'm pretty sure that's where it was and and uh we were driving up it was just me and my friend and his father and his father ran had a uh towing business uh and they weren't rich by any means but they had, uh, you know, more money than the average middle-class family, and his father, with his little bit of extra money, had bought a used Mercedes. It was an old S-Class. It was like maybe an eighties, uh, early, early to mid-eighties S-Class, and it was maybe you know a couple a couple of years old. It wasn't like you know, it was maybe a generation after the, the S-Classes that were available at that time. Maybe two generations later, uh, and we drove up to the skiing place. And I don't remember the drive up. I was probably just uh, in the back seat or whatever uh probably just excited to go skiing and i was probably tired because you got to leave at like five in the morning if you want to get there at a reasonable time uh from long island skied the whole day and when the day was over uh we left and my friend wanted to sleep on the in the back seat so he did just lay out across the back seat and i sat in the front seat uh, and, uh on the drive back and on the drive back very early in the drive what i want to say is a black ford probe uh was sort of uh, you know driving around us and immediately there became this game between my friend's father and the Ford probe of, I don't know what the game is like we would pass them and he would pass us and we would pass them, you know, kind of driving way too fast in a competitive manner, but in a playful competitive manner, uh, with another car. Uh, and so I was in this big leather seat. I'd never sat in a leather seat before in my life. The seat is, I believe it was heated, but it could have just been body heat. Who knows? Uh, I'm playing with the little, pictogramic, uh, Seat controls, which, by the way, are one of the most brilliant uh, user interface innovations in cars. I don't know if Mercedes invented them, but I think they popularized them. Do you all know what I'm talking about?
1: Absolutely. you're re- absolutely right.
2: Where you reach you know that is another example of no touchscreen is helping you there. No voice command is helping. That that control is just so far superior. And whoever came up with that, instead of the old thing of like four buttons, you had to keep pressing each four to figure out which one was. They just made the little picture of the seat. Anyway, I had it adjusted to this strange angle where I'm sort of nestled in there, and I'm sort of hunched down, and I'm little, right? And what I'm looking at is the the back of the Ford Probe darting in front of us and going back and forth. And I'm looking at, at uh, my friend's father's speedometer and tachometer as he drives. It's, you know, it's, it's an S-Class Mercedes. It's not a fast car, but it had a V8 in it. It was, uh, you know, relatively quick and so how is that not smooth. a fast car? Well, in the yeah, past I mean, class, Mercedes was the big boat one, so, but so incredibly smooth. Like, it felt like I was floating on a piece of glass and so solid feeling and so silent. I didn't know cars could even be like this. And we're going tremendously fast, touching a hundred several times, which was just, I, I was, you know, giddy with joy this entire time, trying not to let, like, I was trying to pretend like I was, like, half asleep, trying not to let my friends fall and know that I was giddy that he was doing this with his other car because it seemed like something illicit was going on. It was exciting. But that changed how I viewed cars. That that they could be, you know, so different than all the other cars that I had experienced, and that you could drive that quickly in that much comfort and silence and have that much fun and not have it be like, you know, terrifying like it was when you went over sixty in the Volvo. Uh, that that really changed my view of cars. I think that probably started me on reading car magazines, and prior to that I was not into them. So if you're out there, Mr. DeSillis, thank you
0: for that that drive. It was exciting, and I'm glad you didn't kill me. <laughs> Whatever happened to Volvo? Like I know they're still around. I know was it Ford who bought them? Somebody yeah, out- Ford. Ford took a
2: large amount of ownership. Once that happens, <laughs> your days. are It's like GM taking over. Sob. Yeah.
0: Like because I, I, I mean I still see Volvo's around. I remember when we were looking for Tiff's car, like looking at all the different hatchbacks and everything. Uh, we we did have to go to a Volvo dealer to look at the uh, the C30. And um, it, first of all, it's pretty hard to even find a Volvo dealer. Uh, in a lot of places including including around here, like we had to go really far away to find one and uh it just doesn't seem like I still see them occasionally, but it doesn't seem like they're selling very well like i s I think I still might see sobs more than I see Volvos.
2: Yeah, they're very they're very expensive cars and they usually don't pair up with equally priced cars in terms of any single factor. The one thing Volvo always had going for it is Volvo's company's obsession with safety. Right. Uh which is probably why my parents got one and why I'm, I I was interested in them as well because Back when they were an independent company and were making their own platforms and like calling all the shots in their own things, they were just so incredibly obsessed with safety that they would sacrifice everything else for it. Their cars would be ugly. They would not be fast. They would be heavy. They would be noisy. They would, <laughs> the drivetrains wouldn't be good. Like, and you just knew everything in that car was centered around making it safe. Uh, and I think there's a place in the market for car companies that are obsessed with one particular aspect. If you wanted safety, you want, it wasn't just like all marketing. Like, it wasn't like, oh, we really care about safety, so buy our cars. Like, they devoted resources and you know car designers and scientists and research to safety and were willing to sacrifice, like willing to make that trade off with the other aspects of their cars. But once you know, apparently there wasn't enough of a market to sustain them, and once they had to take on the Ford stuff, then it's like, oh, we should really have a common platform and a common drivetrain, and maybe your next Volvo can just be a reskin Ford. And we kind of care about safety too. And is that what they like are? It's like what now? happened to Saab. You know, well then it's not; they're not reskin Fords, but they want more platform sharing. Like, right. That was Saab. It was even more like the. That Saab and GM—they wanted them to, you know, share more parts with the GM, you know, platforms and stuff like that. And It's just it, once you lose what's unique about the thing, and you're just trying to to continue, like, you know, badge marketing, where like you're just you're just buying a, a plain old GM parts <laughs> bin car with a brand. Saab badge on it, you know? Yeah, that that that's doom. I mean. I don't know what what caused the downfall of these companies it's probably just that maybe there's not a, as big a market as they think for those things maybe it's just that the the fixed uh baseline costs of being a car company are so large that you you can't just be you know unless you're at the super duper high end that's an uncomfortable middle ground where, like if you're a Ferrari fine you can make a small number of cars and you could be although they got bought by Fiat so what am I saying but uh, in that middle ground where you're not selling super duper expensive cars uh, but you do want to sell a lot of them, but they're weird. I don't know how you. I don't know how you sustain right that like business. cars where like- you
0: can't really compete very well on price, but you have to come pretty close. And uh, so like so you're not going to be. You're, like, no one's ever going to name you the best value. You do have some fans, but they're not going to spend three hundred grand for your cars, like Ferraris. So it's more like, yeah, people like some. Yeah, and, you don't, and, and Volvo. you don't have the
2: regular cars to sustain you. Like, Ford can afford to have all sorts of weird cars because they have, like, their bread-and-butter car. That's right. like, okay, well, that'll bring in the money, and then we can afford, or, you know, uh, like, you know, Chrysler can afford, well, almost ditch the Viper. We can afford to have the Viper because they sell lots of boring cars to support them. But if you're Volvo, all you sell are these weird safety-focused cars that previously were very ugly and they're not they're not as nice driving cars as BMWs and they and they don't have as so much cachet as a Mercedes and they're not even as good a car as like and the other thing is, I think other companies start to eat their lunch because Mercedes is also almost as maniacally safety focused as Volvo is, and that's like they're bumping right up
0: against each other. And it's like,
2: well, Volvo is really, really safety focused, but Mercedes is pretty safety focused too, and they have these other aspects that I like. So, well,
0: also right, like, they're still
2: out there, and they're still nice cars. But
0: like, there, there are yeah. so many safety regulations now with cars, and and all the crash testing that we do now, um, that I feel like the entire industry stepped up their game with safety, especially like in the '90s, and uh, and since then even more. And so yeah, it seems like a, it, like if your specialty is safety, um, then your your advantage is eroded when the rest of the industry gets pretty uh, damn I, close. I don't think
2: I don't think their advantage was eroded because uh, I mean, in in relative terms, it was not. I feel like they like they held the lead right up to the point where their their engineers stopped being able to design their cars and they had to just you know slap badges on Ford stuff, uh, but like. the absolute level raised up. So like, even though the relative distance was still very big, everyone else had gone up so much higher. You'd gone up higher too. Like it's the difference between designing your car so that it passes the safety tests and designing your car, so that it's so safe that even if you that even by not paying attention to the safety test, it just passes all of them. As you know, like it's like we right. we know the exact masses, speeds, and angles that that, that the collisions are going to happen in all these standardized tests in all these different countries. So we just designed our car so it survives all those perfectly fine. But if you hit it at a slightly different angle or at a slightly different speed, it wouldn't survive as well. And the Volvo just wants to make a tank that hit me from any angle. We don't care. We're going to survive everything, and we're you know we're going to go crazy with the safety stuff. I mean, they're still out there. They're still doing this stuff with the uh, you know. Car that will stop itself if it senses you're about to hit something like almost self driving car type stuff they're adding in electronics you know that 's the new frontier of safety I guess besides just building your car like a tank right uh but yeah the probably probably their error as a pioneer uh has has passed them by
0: right. and unfortunately building your car like a tank is is no longer that easy with uh, fuel efficiency requirements
1: absolutely. Yeah. Because if you want to build it like a tank, it needs to weigh as much as a tank, and and that's obviously contrary. <laughs> well, to... Well, not if you
2: put no sound deadening material in it, like our Volvo wagon, <laughs> you could hear every pebble clinking underneath the car. Well, yeah,
0: but what year was that? Also, I mean, that was uh,
1: that was nineteen
2: eighty one Volvo wagon. Yeah, that
0: was before a lot of the stuff was required that takes up more weight, and and before the, the fuel uh, emission standards and and efficiency standards were so strict. you know, Like now, like you. The 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 standards are so aggressive for especially in the U.S. and actually I think I think in Europe they're even more aggressive, aren't they? In many ways, but uh, the standards are so aggressive that uh, there's a lot less room for individuality or for for wildly different uh, priorities in car design among all the big brands because now it's like like you have to have this certain average of fuel economy among your line and all the cars have to be at least this and if you do this then you gotta tack a big charge on
2: i think that's mostly a cost concern because like we can make cars fuel efficient just dependent on costs. like all you gotta do is use lighter materials it's so easy to do but lighter materials cost more money so i think i think where standardization hurts the most uh safety standardization in particular hurts the most is in styling variation because you cannot pass these the arbitrary test safety bumper crash test types things without some minimal overhang size, like unless you use exotic materials and then you have a price problem. So that's why like the, the Porsche Boxster uh, concept that everybody loved, the first actual Boxster off the assembly line, like the production version, did not look nearly as good. And you're like, well, it's like the same thing, isn't it? But no, they had to make all the overhangs bigger and make everything wider on it. Like you can't make, all those concept cars look amazing. None of them would pass US safety uh, standards and it, it impacts styling. It impacts how... You can't make a real car that looks like a concept car, not because of you know materials or anything all the time. It's like it's because of styling. You just you just have to put these bloated, puffy things all around it uh, because it's not tenable to make a car that looks like you know. And what you want from concept cars is uh, not a lot of space around the wheels and the wheel wells, not very long overhangs, very low slung. You know, all, all sorts of things that are terrible for safety but look
0: really cool. <laughs> yep. Well,
1: isn't that why the uh, the kidneys on the BMW are no longer attached to the hood? I. I... Thought that was the case because the kidneys on my car in the on the on the '90s, uh they stay put when you open the hood and, and for the longest time, as far as I was aware, when you raise the hood, the kidneys went with them went went with the hood on BMWs. And I thought that was because of pedestrian safety that that changed in later years. It
0: might be because they're like especially uh, cars designed for the European market uh, have to do a lot more for pedestrian safety than we yeah. do in the U.S. Uh, and and you and you can see this with almost all of the recent designs from uh, BMW and Audi and Mercedes. Uh, you can see how well Mercedes never really had this problem because their their cars are always big boxes on the front. Uh, but they're they're still trying to soften their their previous styling. But like cars that used to have more angular, pointy fronts, uh, those can't exist anymore, really, because of the pedestrian safety things. So the, the idea being if you. If you hit a pedestrian on the front of your car, then if it's shaped in a certain way, they will fall or be impacted in a way less likely to injure them in some way. I don't know. I don't know the details. Yeah, they
2: have, they have the, the airbags for the people that you... Yes. Can, yeah, I've seen, those are a great idea. You know, one area the BMW was ahead in terms of uh, modern front-end styling is that uh, Mercedes ha- used to have the, like the, the three-pointed star in a circle sticking vertically up out of, out of their thing, <laughs> right? right? To and Rolls-Royce has... Rolls-Royce has the spirit of ecstasy thing there and everything. And so people would yank those things off of Mercedes. And that's why Rolls-Royce now, when you park the car, the little spirit of ecstasy thing goes down. goes down like a little elevator into your car. So when you're away, no one will steal it off of it because that's a, a very popular thing to do. But BMW, as far as I'm aware, always had the propeller logo flat. Like, you know, not sticking up, not something that's easy to rip off, not something that's going to impale a pedestrian. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And actually uh to go back just a quick step Marco I do believe that Volvo has a European delivery program if you'd like to change your mind about the M5.
0: They're made in Europe?
1: Volvos? Yeah. They're Swedish, are they not? And yeah,
0: still like today they're still made over there?
1: I think.
0: That I'm uh, surprised. i sure. about the, I
2: I'm probably going to get in trouble with Volvo fans. I don't know how much platform sharing there is with Ford. Uh maybe they've maybe they've maintained complete independence. I'm not sure, but like I shouldn't slag off Volvo too much because volvo was the first nice car that my parents bought after like i was in college and my sister i think was out of college and like they decided okay it's safe for us to buy a nice car they leased uh, a volvo v70 uh, which was the first like actual sporty volvo it was still kind of looked like a box but it had you know low profile alloy wheels and a turbocharged five-cylinder engine and it was so much faster than the
0: minivan let me tell you <laughs> okay. Le- oh yeah this is uh what was the was there a sedan variant similar to this i see no, this is
2: the, v, the v70 it was a sedan uh,
0: i'm only That's seeing a had. picture we of the wagon online
2: yeah we didn't have the wagon we had the sedan when it was black it looked like yeah again, if, if your car is ugly get it in black you know it, you if you squinted it looked like a fancy hybrid the wheels in particular look like little slanted propeller things if you're looking at it the alloy wheels with those little things that was just the hottest car my family had ever owned.
0: Yeah, we had. Uh, it was uh, not
2: not great to drive, but it was really
0: fast. <laughs> I, I was friends with a Volvo family um, in in high school, and uh, I still still in front of them actually. But like the kind of family that all they ever had was Volvos uh, for for a long time. I, they probably haven't anymore, which is kind of Volvo's problem. But uh, it was, all, and this was like their their like the first really awesome fancy car that I was in on a regular basis was one that looks very similar to this, but it was it was definitely a, a sedan. But it, lo- it was probably the same generation, probably from the same year, like, like 98, 97, something like that. And uh, great car, fast. And the, actually the only accident I was ever in um, that was meaningful at all was uh, in their old Volvo that, that they let their son, my friend, drive. And it was, it, you know, you know, the Volvo's from probably the early 80s, maybe... Uh, that everybody had, it's just just like the sedan with like those like slatted headrests. You know, everyone has these. Oh, you yeah. know, yep. <laughs> everyone's oh, seen yeah. these. You know, e- those everyone... slatted
2: headrests spanned many cars in many generations. I think they're still in Volvo. It's <laughs> really? their signature, one of their signature things. I think. Why well, would... no, I haven't looked at a modern one. Why would they, they keep they...
0: that of all
2: things? They were terrible. Well, the whole thing is they had a big headrest that covered the whole back of your head instead of just being this little nub that was like in the nape of your neck. You know, in like the 70s and 60s, like they said, no, we're gonna have a whole thing behind your head. It looks incredibly dorky, but it's. Oh. Oh, wow! All
1: safety.
0: right. Well, anyway, it was uh, it was one of those like ancient Volvos where like fifth gear was a button instead of being on the like it was it was a stick, but like fifth gear it was just like an overdrive. Button. It's called
2: overdrive. Yes. Yeah. You yeah, had to press the overdrive button, and it wouldn't engage a lot of the time.
0: Yes. <laughs> and well, I mean, a lot of things in that car didn't work. Obviously, it didn't have air conditioning, or if it did, it had long since broken. Uh, it you know like the the stereo would only work sometimes in some stations, and yeah, lots of problems. But uh, anyway. Yeah, only accident I was ever in was in that ancient Volvo that my friend was driving, where uh, he just like he, he ran a red light in a rainstorm a little bit and hit somebody turning left, and uh, just you know head to head low speed, um, the entire front of the car like the whole hood just crumpled, and I remember at first thinking, wow, I thought volvos were supposed to be safe, and, and then eventually I realized well that's exactly what it's supposed to do <laughs> that it's you know it takes all the impact on the front section so that it doesn't reach the passenger compartment. Like, obviously, that's that's a good thing. But at the time, like, I remember thinking that was not a very strong impact to cause that amount of visual damage. Uh, but, hey, it was a safe car. And then they, his parents gave him the other one, and he crashed that one a few years later. <laughs> Nice.
2: Yep. This is bothering me that I can't find a picture of my dad's car because now I don't know if it was a V seventy or an S seventy. I'm having such trouble finding. Pretty sure it was Google not a V seventy
0: because Wikipedia seems to think V seventy was a wagon.
2: Yeah. It, what that you guys don't know what the badge was? It was the it was the first. I thought one. It, was it was an was, S. Oh god! I gotta find this car. It's really bothering. It me. may be. The,
0: yeah. I'm looking at the Wikipedia. It looks like it's the S seventy or or something very similar. If it's not that,
2: it might have been back when they were numbers, where it was like an eight fifty. 850
1: turbo oh yes i've forgotten about that I, th- I bet you're right
0: no i'm looking no the one i'm thinking of at least almost positive was like a, a 1998 or so s70 yeah anyway so yeah
1: meanwhile while we all google <laughs>
0: <While we all, laughs> nothing is nothing is more interesting than listening to a podcast uh about people browsing the internet uh the, the
2: magic of editing though you'll you'll fix this Oh first. yeah, of
0: course. Yeah. What what's uh <laughs> there are some things that are almost as interesting as that though. Um there are things like uh podcasts about Skype problems. Those are always fun. And follow followed very closely <laughs> by podcasts about podcasting equipment. That's that's almost Oh, oh yeah, what kind of mic do you have? Oh yeah, what kind of headphones do you have? You got a mixer with that? <laughs> what are you you recording into uh Logic? Yeah, really? <laughs> Using some compression? <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. You're making me fall asleep. Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> I have other topics, but they're all pretty big. You want to... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't want to address them now, I guess. I will say one thing, though. That has nothing to do with what we've talked about so far, but I, I keep almost forgetting to bring this up. Um, so, you know, a few few decades ago by now, maybe a decade ago. Yeah, about a decade ago, there was the trend uh, where all the cars briefly had Altezza-style taillights. And uh, I'm sure you guys know what those are.
1: Yeah the the ones where all the lights are like in little circles and it's like clear and silvery. Is yeah, that what it's you're thinking of
2: what it. What were you? How are you describing those? Because I've never heard that term. Before.
1: altezas You you know there. You just the, don't. The history
0: of it. it basically. Yeah, you know exactly what it is. It's um. There was a the Japanese version of the Lexus IS. It was released there called the Altezza. Like the very first model in like like ninety nine or two thousand something around there, and. Uh, briefly, or it, 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 the the style of its taillights was basically, rather than having the whole square of the brake light be red, just the middle circle of it was red, and the whole rest of it was silver, and had a clear uh, reflector, so that your lights were mostly looking silver, with just a little bit of red in the middle. And this style caught on and became kind of a design fad in cars for probably a good five years, where... For those, like the Nissan Altima did a really, really brute force copy job of it where it looked terrible. Um, Chances are, if you picture a Nissan Altima, uh, you will probably picture the model I'm thinking of where it just had this tremendous, ugly Alteza style tail light. So, anyway, those looked terrible. And and I started thinking about uh, light stylings. And what seems to be going on now is the daylight running lights turning into rings or Lines or other like vector shapes made from leds
1: and or and you know why for their brand <laughs> so i
0: so like I, I think the company that started doing this in in the modern style first, I think is probably Audi. would you say like where like the, the Audi? Audi started doing the LED rings in like angular shapes and lines around the headlights, I think before everyone else.
1: Is that... No, no way. Not before BMW's Angel Eyes. Really?
0: Uh, well, I don't know. Now,
1: to your... Actually, in, oh, well, hold on. I don't know if the Angel Eyes would your, count
0: for, this, for what I'm describing. The,
1: okay, see, I was going to say, those Angel Eyes, in at least when they were new, were not LED. So, if if we're staying strictly to LEDs, then you're right. They don't count. I
0: think I... Yeah, so... And, John, you know what I'm talking about, this, this trend now? The ugly headlights on Audis and BMWs? I yeah. know about those.
2: So... <laughs> And I know the Ultima you're talking about. I didn't. I don't mind the Ultima taillights as much as you seem to, but
0: yeah. <laughs> I, oh, they were, it was just so much silver, and it looked it, and the lights were all tall. With the, anyway, um, so so now it's funny how like in the last few years, as LED headlights are starting to filter into to more models, or at least uh, as an option or as a high end option, uh, we're seeing uh, a lot of brands kind of tackle this themselves, and I think almost all of them look awful. I think Audi's look great. And, and I think what we're starting whoa, 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 to see. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You think you think the little the little accent line eyebrow things? Audi's look great. Usually, there are some models where they go kind of weird. Like because oh, the I the know, thing man. is like it for, like the way the the front of a car usually is, it kind of evokes a face in ways as as you always like to say, John. Um, this is kind of like mascara or eyeliner. Uh, what? <laughs>
2: no, it, it's more like scarring. <laughs> it's like someone has cut them symmetrically. It's like it,
0: I, it's this it's this very bold accent that usually has a very uh, distinct shape to be visible from a while away. And you can identify and say, oh, that's an Audi. Uh, and, and they are kind of shaped like, like eyeliner around the headlights. And, and so like, some cars do it really well and look really awesome. And some cars it just looks terrible on. And like, what I even saw the other day, um, this is what made me think about talking about it, I saw somebody had added uh this to their car with an aftermarket modification. <laughs> and and what it appeared that they did, I'm not sure if this was like an ironic comment on these things or, or if it was actually a legitimate attempt to to add these to their car. It appeared as though they had just somehow attached white tube lights, like Christmas lights, like like you see in college dorms, those tube lights. Oh rope lights? Ro- yeah, those. It, they had, it seemed like they had just like taped those on around the headlights in the approximate shape of Audi's, and it, I mean it looked hilarious. It was so bad, and and we'll do a whole episode sometime on aftermarket modifications and and good and bad. But uh, I don't know. I mean, like, what do you guys think of these things? I, I just think that it's one of these design elements that I, I think we're gonna see similar to what we were saying back in the uh, in the episode about uh, digital. Speedometer screens and, and turning into those things I, I think we 're going to see a period over the next five years or so where uh, people are going to go a little bit too crazy car designers are going to go a little bit too crazy with these weird LED eyeliner headlight things uh, and it's going we 're going to have some periods of really extreme tackiness before we get back to like pulling back to an average calm way of using this
2: I hope they uh- I hope they all learn the lesson of Audi because Audi's kind of taken on for the team by, by being a luxury brand and having enough money to, you know, to put those LEDs on all its cars as a characteristic. And so everyone can look at the Audi line and say, Ew, well, we don't want to do that. So let's, you know, hopefully rein their people in because I, I think it takes the front of a per- – like, I like the front end of most Audis except except for maybe that giant grill from floor to ceiling. Uh, and it ruins it. It just, like – it depends on the shape of the accent line. Some accent lines are better than others, but all of them make the front end look worse than it would without those lights on. I feel like, and so when you know it comes down, so your you know your Ford Focus and your Honda Civic can afford to have LED lighting everywhere. Hopefully, we will have converged on on something that looks nice. I think I think the main objection I have to the little Audi things is that they they seem like they're drawn on the face. They don't conform to. The shape of the car or the headlights, they're not, they're not part of the styling. They're yeah. like, here's the styling of the car, it looks nice, and then draw the squiggly line in front of it. And the squiggly line, does not, it's not part of the body lines, it's not part of the airflow lines. It's like, it's like a little Groucho Mark mustache that you draw in a picture of someone you don't like. That's, <laughs> that's what that is in the front of those cars.
0: Yeah, that's, you're, you're totally right about that, I totally see that. And that, that because they, you're right, they always kind of look, they look artificially tacked on. You know, not
2: as bad as the the taping the rope lights to your thing, but just a more expensive version of that. <laughs> right.
1: See, I look at it a little differently, and I I guess I I don't really have an opinion one way or the other whether or not like Audis are good or bad. I, to me, it's I, I don't really care. But the way I look at it, and I've looked at it this way even before I got a BMW and forgot that there are other cars that are good. What other um, cars? I don't know, but supposedly they're out there. I don't remember anymore. (laughs) No, anyway, the way I look at it is, you know, BMW had the Angel Eyes uh, for a long time. I I don't, I'm not going to venture a guess at a number, but I, I, but it's been a while that they've had the Angel Eyes and I don't, to my recollection, I don't know of any other car maker that did anything equivalent. And then I think around the time that Audi or Mercedes or whomever were like, Hey man, we should jump on that bandwagon. Uh, At that time, I think the technology had improved such that LEDs, not only were they able to be used in an affordable way, but also as a differentiator away from the angel eyes. So, oh, look, we've got fancy LEDs. Aren't we so special? And I don't know. I just feel like it's a kind of... It, it's just a rip-off. It's like the Samsunging of BMW. It's
2: not a know? rip-off. It's its own thing. i give it total credit for being its own thing because, like, the, you know, the BMW thing was the circles. Two, two circles. That's, you know, that's what BMW headlights look like and, you know, forever, right? And Audis are fried eggs. They're not they're not circus. They didn't, you know, they're, they're fried eggs with Groucho Mark mustaches shoved on them. I, I, Doing something distinctive with your headlights is not, you can't fence off that entire region of change. I don't, I don't, I don't see it as a, a ripoff at all. Even though like, I'm actually amazed. This is actually a great example of, of how competition is supposed to work. Audi, BMW and uh, Mercedes, all, you know, sort of neighbors to each other, right? All competing in the same market and yet not producing, copycat cars like they are distinct you know they have distinct personalities styling wise i feel like they're you know they're they're all very distinct from each other in every possible way and this is in stark contrast to like toyota wants to get into the luxury market so it makes a toyota mercedes like the lexus ls 400 the original model was basically just like a complete ripoff of a mercedes in terms of styling and and you know in every possible aspect and you know, it did better than Mercedes. It was way cheaper. Like it was a great car and everything, but it was so clearly that was a Samsunging. What what Lexus did to Mercedes, that was totally a Samsunging. Uh, but I feel like those three guys—Audi, Mercedes, and BMW—for the most part are following their own paths and producing lines of cars that well, are distinct.
0: I would say that's true in their styling. They 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 very rarely rip anything off styling-wise from each other um and oh, or really from anybody for that matter all three of them tend to have very original styles and and, uh, and styling elements but uh they rip each other off constantly on features and on on like uh, I mean, what models they're the releasing Joneses, yeah, yeah i mean and to, you know, i guess to some extent you kind of have to do that but like like, well, almost, every, like almost every almost like, every new like, model that comes out from one of them is a response to the success that another crazy model from the other one had had been having recently like we like we discussed in a few episodes ago the Audi A7 the Audi A7 is a direct rip-off of the Mercedes, uh, is it the CLS? There's one of the, it's like, it, lo- it looks just like so. it. But it's
2: not, but the thing, but. The, the development times for car platforms are so long Right. everyone is starting, like, everyone had started their, we're going to make SUVs project. And like, Mercedes got their M class out before the other guys, but everyone had started that project. Oh, we need an SUV platform. And it's like, it's it's simultaneous invention of what the market wants. And so like... Depending on who got there first, and like kind of the staggered, you know, oh, we're you know a couple of years ahead of you guys in our project, but the development times on these things are so long, and so they go, you know, we we have to make some sort of coupe hybrid crossover, like that's popular now. They all started the projects of those things. So you've got them, you know, and they come out at different times. And just because, like, I don't know, who was the first one with the ugly coupe you know thing that came out with like you should call the a7 a ripoff of the cls or something but like it just who beats you by a couple of years or so it's not like the other one saw that one and then you started a multi-year project to produce that that car very rarely is that the case i feel like all of them are going forward in the same direction and kind of making obvious moves uh and it's just a question of who's program, who has a platform that's ready for that. Oh, actually, we're revving the E-Class platform, and that's what we want to use. So you've got to wait until the new E-Class comes out, and then you can you know, produce your ugly crossover thing or whatever. <laughs> so I, I give them the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, and like, when we talk about Samsung, we're talking about stuff where like you use the same freaking icons for the controls. Right? <laughs> that's, like, like it's, that's what we're talking about. We're, we're not saying, hey, you decided to make a smartphone, too. And that's what we're talking about. Like, oh, so you have a f- automatic following distance adjustment cruise control? They're all going to have it. Everyone's going to do that, you know?
1: It, that's not, a fair point. I guess the thing that, that that makes me feel the lights issue specifically is a little bit different is because, if I'm honest, I, I, I guess you could say that the, the angel eyes are daytime running lights. And I think, strictly speaking, that's what BMW considers them. But rather than just having a dim, regular light, they made a statement by having the angel eyes. Right, a separate and style. So to, Right, and to me, that was the the or that was genesis of doing something, having like bespoke lighting, and so that's why I feel the lighting is a little bit of an also ran or or me too, me too, because everyone was like, well, you we can always see a, a BMW coming down the road because you've got the four circles looking at Man, you. Don't
2: you feel like Audi yeah. should have had that lighting style? It's like, damn it, actually, come on, yes, that's our freaking logo. right,
1: <laughs> separated right. by the kidneys. <laughs> That is a really good point. I never considered, but uh, but you know, I, I guess one of, I just to me the lights are a little bit different. Although by and large, I agree with everything both you guys just said, and I and I do think that the three makes do a very good job of taking a unique spin on on designs, especially on body styles, even if they're they're effectively the same car
2: or even just things like powertrains or what it feels like to, to, to be in those yeah, cars yeah. or drive them like at various times they've swapped places and stuff and my my least favorite one is how mercedes used to be ugly boring and dowdy and bmws were sleek and nice and then bmw yeah. became mutant and ugly and mercedes all of a sudden got interesting looking like that type of horse trading. and audi used to be the also ran with the unintended acceleration thing pushing them out of the u.s market for a while not out, out, but like you know, uh, I don't know if they ever actually left the market, but they had a dark time, and then they were resurgent. And Audi's, Audi's kind of like the Apple, where it's like they were counted out. It was just BMW and Mercedes, and now Audi's coming roaring back, and you know, by selling good cars that people like, uh, and competing with those two big guys. So uh, that th- those three companies are are an interesting story, and I, I also feel like we have a different view of those three companies in the U.S. Because again, I imagine you know in europe there's cars by these manufacturers that are not fancy that are like hatchbacks and stuff that we don't we're always thinking of like you know 30 grand plus luxury sedans and coupes and that's all that's what we think of when we think of those three bands but i guess they're just like regular car well, not regular but more regular car makers in europe right they're
0: like you know in europe they have mid-range cars whereas here like we only get the high-end models for the most part uh, relatively speaking, but there, they're, they have a whole mid-range line that just they don't bring here, presumably because they don't think it would be competitive. I don't know. Is that is and that the reason? They, I mean, like, well, why don't we have all the low-end cars from them? Is it is it because they don't think they'd be able to compete with like Honda and Toyota and Ford in the U.S.?
1: I think that's possible, but I think it's also, I I, I don't know anything about marketing, but I would assume if it were me making the decisions, I don't know that I'd want to water down my brand, my brand, um, in the sense that, you know, these are luxury makes in America. And everyone, if you see somebody with an Audi or a BMW or a Mercedes, you assume or the, the implied assumption is, Oh, this person has done well for him or herself and, and so on and so forth. Whereas if you have a bunch of basically Volkswagen Golfs running around and that's the predominant model that your make is selling in, in in a country then it's not special anymore it's just another Ford.
2: Yeah, that brand stuff it really has an impact because you know if you're talking about cars casually like a, a gathering and someone says what kind of car you have and you say you have a Mercedes they're not picturing a stick shift hatchback with a diesel. They're just right. not. Yeah. You know, like not that Mercedes probably makes that kind of car anywhere but they, they used to and you you know they they have a picture in their mind and it is not it's not a hatchback. It's not a cheap car. It's not a small car. It's it's something different, and you can't you can't overcome that. Like you wouldn't want to overcome that when when you say I have a BMW. They're not picturing that stupid little hatchback thing they tried to sell here, the three eighteen, whatever the hell it was, 318 TI or something. Yep. Uh, they they're just they don't they're not picturing that, and so you you are like you can't turn people around. Like people, I feel like if you bought a cheap car like that, you would you would feel bad. Saying that you owned a Mercedes because you know what people are thinking, and that's not that's not like the that's not the reality. And so, like, I'll pick you up, but just look for the red Mercedes, and someone's all excited, and you come meep meep, and this little, this little, you know, <laughs> like, they're like, oh, I thought you. Had, oh. It's not you know, and that's kind of even even Toyota feels that when they make like. Toyota is not like a luxury brand by any means, but they have a certain reputation, and so that you know, Scion is like, okay, well, these these are going to be really cheap and crappy cars, and Toyota isn't trendy with kids, and so let's make our own new brand that's going to be like the the super duper cheap, but trendy, kid friendly first car you can afford it. It's really crappy at Scion, you know, that like everyone is sensitive of not moving their brand off of where wherever it is, except for apparently BMW, which tried to sell that, you know. 80 grand luxury car under the volkswagen brand and learned a hard lesson
0: is there ever a question uh, like a buying situation in which scion is the right answer uh,
1: yes. i think kids like them i think no there is an, there is a situation and it's the frs or whatever it's called
2: oh no is that is that under the scion brand i keep in I'm america from yeah. stupid top gear it's the gt86 or yeah. g80 whatever the hell it is. oh really. so here that's
0: gonna be a scion is that how that works it,
1: it is it, it's oh, not it's, going it's to be out? it is Mm-hmm. Okay. and yeah, I didn't know i that. seen them on the road,
2: and I really like how they look on the road. It, it I do reminds, as well. It reminds, I still don't like the they had treatment or the tail end treatment, really. But the overall shape, I like seeing a little rear-wheel drive Japanese car, two-door car uh, on the road again.
1: I completely agree. And oh, on so. that bombshell. Yeah,
2: no, I, I've actually, before we go, I, I have looked up, I paste into the chat room. I'm ready to call it that my parents' car was a Volvo 850 Turbo sedan because I, that picture I put in oh, there was exactly the same color as my dad's car was. Those are the wheels it had which is mostly how I'm identifying it because I was so excited that we got a car with like, it's only because they were standard. It's the only reason we got them. We always get the ugly wheels and never spring for the nice ones. <laughs> and Finally, we got, because you could not get this car with those wheels on. And those tires, they looked a lot more low profile in my memory, but compared, compared to the tires on a Honda Civic, those are pretty damn aggressive and wide tires.
0: Yeah, actually, now that, now that I'm looking at this picture, I think this was the car my friends had too. What year? Uh, maybe there was a little bit more rounded off. I think. What what was the year on this?
2: This is like ninety five ish, something like that. Like this was the first hmm. uh, Volvo to make a statement as, "Hey, maybe Volvos aren't boring anymore." I mean, it's still, if you look at it, it's still boxy, but it was like, "But look at those wheels!" And it's actually kind of fast, and people were excited.
0: I th- I mean, th- I thought the one my friend had was really fast because I, you know, I was coming from four cylinder Toyotas, and uh, so like the relatively speaking, it was a very fast car.
2: In a straight line. Don't try to turn. It was not a. It was not. A, <laughs> well, yeah. It still kind of rocked a little bit like a boat, but yeah, I had I had many fun stoplight uh, launches right. in this car. There are no turns no in Ohio.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I've been through Ohio. There's nothing in Ohio. And actually, a piece of trivia: the the Valentine one that I have, which is quite old now, I actually bought it from a gentleman, a friend of my dad's, who had a a vegan, uh, which was like the hot rod Saab at the time, or excuse me, it's hot rod Volvo at the time. Or no, wait, what? no, it was a Saab. Crap, this was totally irrelevant. Cut that out.
0: <laughs> not going to.
1: I know you're not.
2: <laughs> yeah, Saab, I, I went for a ride, and a friend of mine in high school had a Saab turbo, and turbochargers are exciting when you're a kid, because it's like, first there's no, you know, car, and then all of a sudden an engine appears, and
1: yep, you know, exciting things exactly happen,
2: right. and it's just, it's the transition to the excitement. And though of course, a front-wheel drive turbo Saab was, you know, it's like a torque-steer beast, but uh, yep.
1: exciting. Oh, man. All right, are we good? I think we're good.